perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. It's not about reviews.io or any review company, really. I say to people, if they're just starting out, you don't need to use a review company yet. But what you do need to do is listen to your customers. You do need to ask them, how do you feel about our brand? And from that feedback, you need to improve. That's why people need reviews. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Commerce. I have sitting here with me today, Callum McKeefrey, who is the founder and CEO of Reviews.io, which, Calm, I love .io <laughs> domains because you have to say it, right? You can't just say review. No one says I'm the co-founder of boldcommerce.com. Anyways, super smart on the domain. We'll talk about that later. But reviews.io is hands down one of the best in the review space out there. They were recently acquired for, I think, around 80 million, which we're going to chat a little bit about. So clearly they have built something very valuable. And then fun fact about Callum, which I also want to get into, is he spent the month of December dressed as an elf. So Callum, I'm going to ask you about that. And they have a new exciting integration with both subscriptions, which you may be seeing some press around that. So we'll highlight that a bit at the end. So make sure you listen there to learn a little bit about what Bold and Reviews.io are doing together. Okay, but before we get into that, I have the man who loves reviews more than anyone in the world here sitting with me. So I want to get into the nitty gritty on reviews. Callum, welcome to the show. And why the heck do you love reviews so much? Thanks for having me. And I I like the intro about the elf. So really my journey with reviews started 20 years ago. I started in e-commerce and finding my way in tech. And I ran an e-commerce store very early on in the UK selling kitchen appliances. And very quickly, I understood the power of customers' feedback and social proof and how much it helped me convert. But there was no solutions out there at the time. At that time, I was buying a lot of domains and I purchased the domain name reviews.co.uk for some bizarre unknown reason. It was an aftermarket purchase and everyone thought I was crazy when I purchased it. But I could see something there and I could see a business. I just didn't know what it looked like. Sorry, what year was that? That was 2002. So fast forward 10 years, a decade later, we kind of got more of an idea and we launched an MVP of now what is reviews.io. And yeah, it became apparent to me really over that 10-year period how important reviews were in making decisions. Obviously, there's a lot of bad actors online. The shift to online was very fast over the last 10 years and bad actors have become prevalent. And reviews is one way of filtering out those bad actors in the industry, the people who don't deliver, the people whose products aren't described as what they really are. I launched an MVP in 2011 and it slowly, slowly took off. We had one client in the UK really give us a chance. They were a big online retailer and they gave us a chance and we literally developed the product based off their requirements, really, I suppose. So, well, first of all, good on you for actually doing something with a domain name you were sitting on because I'm sitting on, (laughs) I don't know, maybe a (laughs) hundred. I've got lots that I'm not doing anything with. I've spent far too much on domains, I think. Just renewing them over and I know. And then every time I say, 
am I actually going to do something with this? No. So they're slowly whittling down. Every year I go through and go, I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to let that one go. Well, that's a fantastic domain. With the .io, I just, it's so good. I don't know any other domain that really has that same effect. If you're writing it in a social post, if you're writing it in email, you write it. And so it's always a link. That's got to affect Google PageRank in some way, like instead of just writing the name. You know what? It has a benefit in that way, in that you write reviews.io into the Google Chrome or whatever or Safari, and you instantly go to the homepage. Yeah. Now, it actually has a negative effect also. And one of our competitors uses that negative effect against us in their marketing. So Trustpilot actually send out an email and say, look how often our brand is searched, Trustpilot, and look how often reviews.io is searched. And of course, our brand isn't searched for because it's a direct page load. But obviously, they send that out in their email marketing. I've got so many examples being sent to me by people over the years. So what they do is use Google Trends and they show two graphs, reviews.io getting literally no searches, whereas Trustpilot gets a million searches. But obviously, it's not a direct comparison. So that's how it has a negative effect. But I think that's more about the competitive industry that we're in, not a negative. There might be a few things Trustpilot does that are questionable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've called Trustpilot out for many years. We don't want to go down that path. Okay, so when you launched in 2011, I just want to kind of like set the scene a bit on that. So speaking of competitors, like who was doing reviews at that time? Trustpilot had just launched. There was ourselves, Trustpilot. In the US, there was a company called Receleratings. Bizarre Voice was still there. Obviously Yelp, but it was very early days, especially collecting products reviews. It was very early days. Did you launch on a specific platform? We launched really on Magento. We didn't launch on Shopify till much, much later. We really made it so that it could be installed on any site, not just a Magento platform or a Shopify We worked across all custom-made platforms as well. VisualSoft was a big one for us back then in those early days in the UK. When someone says, what is unique about Reviews.io? What makes it awesome? I mean, there was only a few players when you started. Now, you probably couldn't even count the number of review apps and tools out there. But you've done quite well. What is it about Reviews.io that makes it so valuable? I think how we position ourselves is the friendly alternative. We've not really poured hundreds and hundreds of people cold calling D2C brands trying to win their business. We've always kind of been product led and our aim has always been the same, which is to be the most advanced review collection and publishing platform. And we've kind of always stood to that. It's not a case of we're the biggest. It's not a case of we're the smallest. It's just that we keep on improving. Every day we improve this solution. I think that sets us apart. I like that positioning, the friendly reviews. So you don't hold companies ransom with negative reviews saying, if you don't pay us thousands of dollars, this negative review is going to be there. That's not the way we are. We don't have long-term contracts. We don't have annuals unless our clients ask for them. There are some horror stories out there. That is a major acquisition play for a number of review platforms is they let customers leave negative reviews and then they hold them, the brand's essentially ransom. Yeah, contact you and say, hey, you've got a negative review. You've got to pay us to move this or you've got to pay us to collect more reviews. We wanted to be the opposite of that. 
I suppose. I'd hate to be treated like that as a business owner. So I don't treat anybody else like that. Those businesses and what I learned really early on was that those businesses don't stay around. So any business that has angry customers, look at Blockbuster with how they build their customers. They earn more money off fines than they did off renting a DVD. If we look at yellow pages in the UK, they were constantly auto-renewing people's subscriptions and they just had this bad low MPS and bad sentiment around the business. And businesses like that in the long term do not stay around. And I wanted to create a business that stayed around and was actually liked by its customers and was useful to its customers. Literally, if we have a client who's not getting value for money out of the solution, try another solution. Maybe we're not right for you. We're not going to be right for everybody. And that's something we're okay with. And I think that's how you've got to be. What you just said, I want to sum it up how I think about it. You nailed it. It's value-based pricing. And if your pricing isn't aligned with a value that your customer gets, you will fail in the end. Or you will flatline or grow very, very slowly. But Blockbuster is a perfect example that the money that customers... I one time had a $270 late fee on a DVD. (laughs) I'm sure that's not even close to the record of what some people had. But there's no value in that. And yet that's what I'm paying. And so it's completely detached value for price. And when you have that, like if you can align value with price, customers will pay unlimited amounts of money if there's value there. I agree with that. Yeah, 100%. Why should reviews matter so much to brands? Why should people listening care about reviews.io or any review company? Yeah, it's not about reviews.io or any review company, really. I say to people, if they're just starting out, literally, you don't need to use a review company yet. But what you do need to do is listen to your customers. You do need to ask them, how do you feel about our brand? And from that feedback, you need to improve. That's why people need reviews. That's why businesses need reviews, not purely to show their next visitor that they've got a great reputation, but it's also to learn from that customer so that they can improve their offering or their product set and basically become a better business. And that's why reviews are so important. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet, you might have thoughts on this, but most brands, they see a positive review, a five-star review, and they cheer and they see a negative review and they're just pissed off. They see a negative review and read it with the lens. What can I do better? How can I improve this product? Was there some miscommunication? Why are they unhappy? They default to defensive mode, which is how people are in life in general. And and then they apply that to their company and their product and they never see the value in a negative review. I mean, we always tell this story at Bolt that we launched our first upsell in 2012 And the first review we got was a one-star review in the App Store. And it set the course for our company. We read the review and it was a scathing (laughs) bean review. We actually forgot to upload the, essentially the instructions. It's like the walkthrough instructions. And it was very confusing if you'd use it without any of the setup instructions. And so we actually took the app down. We rejigged everything, rebuilt it and relaunched it. And it was like, all five-star reviews. And the person who originally left that negative one, they ended up reinstalling and now they're a long-term customer. But that negative review, it's kind of like this lore story at Bowl. Like it changed the course of our company. Your thoughts are on like the value can be the negative reviews if you look at them the right way. 
100%. The negative reviews can be the catalyst to take your business from good to great, but it's that listening to them. So one of the things that we're really passionate about, I think that AI will play a big part, is that it'll help businesses listen and understand. Because when somebody writes a negative review, when a business owner reads that, there's too much emotion in that review. They get too emotional about that. I still do. I have to control myself. I see a negative review and I'm like, oh my God, why? Instantly, that's my instant reaction. You know, I'm a hot-blooded Irishman. It's like if someone tells you like, your hair's not that great. (laughs) Your defense goes up versus like thinking, oh, how could I improve it, right? Of course it does. I do like your hair, by the way, just to make that clear. (laughs) Thank you. I've got to get it cut. That's on my to-do list today. Right. So the negative reviews have a massive impact. Now, I think AI will be able to do review mining and give you insights without that personal attack, almost. A negative review is not an attack in most cases, but the person reading it can take it as an attack. But what we're trying to do is use AI in reviews.io to pull out the insights from the negative reviews and say, hold on, we've had several negative reviews. They're all mentioning delivery. Now, let's dig deeper on delivery you switched provider. We can, obviously we're integrating with Shopify or one of the big e-commerce platforms and we can see orders and we can see deliveries and maybe the AI can give insights and advice on how to improve. That's where we see it moving. I mean, I saw someone the other day post, I can't remember where, they had an app and they asked ChatGPT to say, using all of our reviews, write a description of our product pulling from all the positive benefits, features, and value in our reviews, highlighting how we're better and using all the negative reviews of a competitor, why we're not like that. Like That was what they asked ChatGPT and it came back and it wrote a listing exactly like addressing the fears and concerns of negative reviews left on competitive apps, highlighting the positive. And it was a fantastic app description just based off of product reviews. And I think that's obviously chat GPT has changed the world and it's going to change commerce massively. And AI in general is going to change commerce, especially direct to consuming businesses that we're fast. D2C businesses, apps in the apps that are super fast moving. That's what we think it's going to have a big effect on our business for the better. And we think it's going to give our customers a lot of insights that they previously didn't have unless they were really spending a lot of time analyzing their customers and their competitors' customers. I'm sure that's got to be at the forefront of a lot of conversations over there for Roadmap for the next couple of years is how AI works into this, whether that's through replies or summaries or pulling out insights or... We're already doing chat GPT-3 replies. Every single one of our clients has already got that ability. They can go into their account. If they've got a review, they can click auto-generate reply and it'll use GPT-3 to generate a reply. And then the person who's in the dashboard can edit the reply and then press send. It's probably cut down time. I just did one a minute ago, actually. And it probably cuts down about 90%. It's amazing. Yeah, there's so many applications. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, kind of talking a bit about already, but are reviews underutilized? Like, is there so much more brands should be doing with reviews that come in other than just showcasing them around their site, using them? But like, 
what else can you do with got these like raving fans leaving five star reviews? Of course, you've got the negative ones. But what are some other things you can use them for? For me, reviews don't get used enough internally within the business. In my opinion, I see a lot of times that right people haven't got visibility on the reviews. So I, I was recently working with a large UK-based brand. They're probably the biggest sports retailers in the UK. And I did a presentation there and I showed them a mug. They sell these mugs that say Sports Direct on. It's one of their best-selling products. The amount that got broken of these mugs was huge. Their breakage rate was absolutely phenomenal. And they kept getting one-star reviews for them. And they got one-star reviews not just on the products, but also on them as a company. It was actually negatively affecting their reputation as a company. And they were selling these mugs for one pound, one dollar. And that sounded great. They thought it was making their customers happy, but it was actually having the opposite effect. And one of the people in that conversation, in that meeting, was the product development team. And they went, we can easily fix this. We just need to just edit the packaging. And we've just fixed it. But because that team didn't have eyes on the actual reviews, they didn't even know there was a problem. And there's just this disconnect. So when the business gets bigger, the reviews really only get seen by really the customer service team. I see that far too often. And they're not getting shared around the business. Product teams aren't seeing reports on what product's doing well, what product's doing badly. The C-suite isn't getting eyeballs on the reviews, sentiment analysis. They're not seeing the insights that the reviews are giving. So they're not making informed decisions. And we just see them not used within the businesses as well as they could be. Mm -hmm. And this might, like AI probably can do this, like an executive summary once a month, summarize the major issues, complaints, and even like possible solutions. But that's not uncommon for any company. Like the reviews get posted. We have an email that goes out like anytime someone leaves a review anywhere. Well, not anywhere. I shouldn't say that. Like not Facebook reviews and Google reviews, but directly in on platforms, e-commerce platforms, an email gets sent to everyone. And whether it's a five star or one star, whatever it is. But I don't know that everyone reads it. And what do we do with it? There's so many of them. They just kind of probably a lot of people just have a filter. They go into a folder. But to get that in a digestible way that you could make meaningful change, that's powerful. And that's the important bit. So we have a system called Review Insights that creates a PDF. And you can set it so monthly you get delivered that PDF and it like kind of outlines your net promoter score whether it's gone up or down, what your collection rate is, this product got the most negatives, this product got the most positives, and any changes. But obviously, AI is going to play such a big role in that document going forward. Like you say, you're going to be able to give actually real-world examples. Context is going to be a lot more. What about positive reviews? So negative reviews, there's a huge opportunity to better understand them and use them to improve your business. When you get really good five-star positive reviews, someone writes a lot or they take good pictures. Is there opportunity with those? Those ones, you've got to amplify. It's a bit of a bad thing, really. So I used to go on a holiday and I'd give myself a task to think about on holiday because entrepreneur, you never switch off. I couldn't anyway. So I used to sit on the beach and think, right, how can I find out who the most powerful reviewer is? Everybody's sort of got a rating of power or influence. 
So if you look on Instagram, TikTok, it's all by followers. The most influential have more followers. They have more reach. Kim Kardashian's of this world. And maybe there's a thing where we can identify who the most influential is. Is their review more important? Maybe it is because they have more followers. They have more social impact. So we had a thing called discovery that highlighted when an influencer actually wrote a review and they left a video and that's huge. And really then the brands could advertise, create social proof around that marketing. I expected this product to be huge, this discovery product to be huge. It turns out it wasn't. When I describe it now, I'm like, why does this not take off? Just so I understand, was the concept of it like if I'm leaving a review product, I put in my first name, last name, maybe my email, or there's other information. And then you check Instagram, how many followers I have. And if I have a certain amount, like it can try to find a match for me. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a fantastic idea. But you're saying it didn't take off. Really didn't take off. I still don't fully understand. I couldn't get this product to be really adopted as well as what I thought it was going to be. Is it maybe because brands just didn't know what to do with them? A lot of stores have people raving about them on social media and I say like, look, your influencers are there. They're out there. Like you need to go empower them, give them the tools they need, give them like resources. Maybe you did all you could do, but then they've got to use their affiliate software and reseller tools. They struggle to build a connection. I think what was happening at the time and what is still happening is that we had some of the biggest, so KSI, for instance, right? Massive. Paul Logan's partnering Prime Drinks, one of the biggest names on TikTok and Instagram. He wrote a review. Some equipment he purchased, boxing equipment from a boxing brand we worked with. They were paying influencers to use their equipment, but actually the biggest influencer in the world for them actually purchased one of their products and wrote a review. They never tried to harness that relationship. It was so weird to me, but it's a product that didn't really take off. Now, the product that has taken off is where you can turn that review into an image and you can share it on your channels. It's a much simpler solution. That has taken off. But actually, the discovery element didn't take off. It's very strange. It's funny. I can't remember which episode number it was, but I had uh, Cody Wittick on. He has a company called Kinship. He was on the podcast and he helps brands build out influencer programs. And he talked a lot about, he calls it, it's product seeding. And, you know, he'll work with a brand and he'll take like 300 products. He'll spend a lot of hours on social media, finding the right type of people who are already posting good content, good pictures. They have the right number of followers they'll reach out to them and say, hey, looks like you've built a great audience and the content you're putting out is amazing. We'd love to send you our backpack. It seems like you're outdoors a lot. Would just love to send it to you for free and let us know what you think about it. Like no strings attached, that's it. And they send it out and then they wait a week or two, they follow up and just wondering like how it was. 10 or 20% of the time, the person will just post about it organically on social because you sent them something free. But then you reach out and ask them. And then, of course, then the pitch is to try to get them joined. But that costs a lot of money. And like what you built does that for free. Like there's people who are buying from you right now that have good followings that are perfect candidates. But we're not even using the customers that we have that are already raving about. Like that just blows my mind that that didn't take off. I think there's a gap there. I blame myself a little bit, but I just really struggled with that product to get it off the ground other products that we've launched. It's quite funny. I still never know what's going to be a massive hit and what's not. And I've been doing this for 10 
12 years. And I'm sure you're the same with Bold. I'm sure you've done some things where you think, oh my God, this app's going to be the biggest one we're ever going to do. This is going to be massive. And then it's good, but it doesn't meet your expectations. Yeah, I think what I've noticed is you can build the most amazing tool that can be the best thing for brands, but where they really struggle is marketing. So like, I'll talk about that first app we ever built, like Upsell. It's a fantastic tool. We saw stores increasing their average order value 40, 50, 60%. If they would take the time to build like proper upsells with relevant products, create a bit of a discount, promote it on the homepage, let customers know that, you know, this week, if you buy this offer or this product, get this. And But like hardly anyone would do the marketing. They would just install the app and the upsells would start firing and they would expect it to work. It would work a little bit, but the extra effort around it, I think that's the case with this. Like what you had was a great tool, but now there's a little bit of extra effort. Like they actually have to have a program. They actually have to have, like, I think that I would have a dedicated manager with this tool, with Reviews.io, who's reaching out to these people. And that's their full-time job is to turn them into ambassadors. Yeah, I totally agree. It's almost some D2C brands are a little bit lazy, but then obviously the great ones aren't. We just did, um, you know, Obvi, the collagen people. So they just switched to us from another provider and they were so on the ball. They know their stuff. They knew what they wanted. They were willing to test things out. I think the great D2C brands never stop testing. And that's something I've learned over the last couple of years. Yeah, you're right. There are some lazy D2C owners, but they're also very busy too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But you know, like I think D2C is one of these products. They kind of been sold a dream sometimes. And don't get me wrong. Yeah, I know that super busy. I think it's too easy now, to be honest. I think it's too easy to build a store. I launched my first store in 1998. So age me a little bit. I built it on Microsoft front page. I had to hand build each store. I couldn't get a credit card processor. It took months because for the first four months, I was taking orders by phone. I put a phone number on each page. I carried around a cell phone. and But like, you know, now you can start a store, Shopify or any platform, you can start accepting payments like that day. So the barrier to entry to e-commerce is so low. So you do get, there is a mindset that like it's easy. And then like, just dropship products. You don't even have to have them. We don't even, I don't know. There's going to be a bit of a reckoning, I think. Well, that makes me laugh. All these apps that allow you to import your reviews from AliExpress, they're not even your reviews. Right. Actually, I just heard Amazon announce now, I don't know if it's live yet or not, but they announced that they're going to start letting you pull reviews from Amazon into your site. They're only doing that if you're using the Amazon car, buy with Prime. Gotcha. And it's not really reviews on your page. It still look like Amazon reviews and it's more of an Amazon iframe sort of solution. It's not an iframe, but it looks like an iframe. It's funny, hey, Amazon failed with, they launched Amazon stores. They tried a number of times to let people build businesses like grow and expand. And now they're just spreading their tentacles out <laughs> into. Do you think they should have bought Shopify when they could? Do you think they could have bought Shopify? Yeah, maybe. I think Amazon actually, it'll be interesting how it plays out. Like Shopify is slowly becoming a marketplace. Their shop app is the spear of that. So they're trying to leverage all the benefits that a marketplace brings without officially being a marketplace. And so those benefits are Shopify Fulfillment Network, which hasn't really taken off. They have shop app for shopping. They have like when you buy from a Shopify store, 
you very much know it's a Shopify store. Like that customer has a relationship with Shopify. They're paying through shop. They're tracking it in shop app. It might be getting fulfilled by Shopify. So they've navigated it quite well. Wasn't sure how the market would receive it because like they're positioning themselves as arming the rebels against the empire and saying that the marketplace is so bad and Shopify lets you differentiate yourself. But now when I sell my backpack through a Shopify store and that customer gets it, they see ads for other backpack companies and other recommended products in shop app. So the lines are getting pretty blurred. I think so. I think that's a very fine line. They've navigated it pretty well so far, though. Yeah. There's a couple of things within the Shopify ecosystem. That is one of them, the cross-selling. The other one, how do you feel about these investments by Shopify in the so-called best of breed in the app store? It's interesting. I mean, it's a play for their shareholders. It's a play for stock market value. What I'm just blown away is how like they can get away with it as long as they can bring enough value to the others. So for example, they have a large stake in a firm, but Klarna and Afterpay and other, all these other ones like Sezzle and Zip, they're not going to say, well, we're not going to offer our services in Shopify because that's saying no to 2 million merchants. So they're large enough that they can do that. So like they can own a big stake in Klaviyo, but now Omnisend and others can't say, well, that's it. We're going to like, if you own a piece of our competitor. So I don't know where the lines come in with like antitrust and different things. Like if they own. It is weird. So I was involved in Google's antitrust case around price comparison a few years ago in Europe. And there is some similarities between, no, I say that wrong. There could be eventually some similarities between the two cases and Shopify picking winners. I don't think they have picked the winner, but I think they've, they've obviously placed investments on who they think is going to be a winner. And I think if they do what like Google did back with price comparison, where they give them preferential space and advantage over other brands, where they will fall foul of antitrust, definitely in the Europe. Um, the US, it's a very difficult thing to prove and it's a very drawn out case and they don't bring them very often. But in Europe, they like to bring them. You know, we've seen that. The antitrust team, they've got to prove their worth. I was involved in the one with Google for, geez, a long time, long time. I was providing information and helping one of the teams there. And actually, Google did something wrong. They did favor their own solution and they did give every other price comparison network a penalty. I don't see that happening with Shopify yet, unless something crazy happens there. But I think they do leave themselves open a little bit, at least to be careful. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting. Well, I'm not an expert on it. I'm interested to see how it plays out. It is something that back to the review topic, though, I wouldn't ask you, what are some of the brands that you think are doing a great job with reviews? So any that you really admire doing it really well? I like brands that really do it all. They collect video reviews, they collect a lot of photo reviews, and they reply if they get a negative review or if they get an outstanding positive review, they reply. So I like those brands that really use the solution and listen to their customers. One that we've just done is Obvi, which is myobvi.com. Their install looks really good. They're really customized and I like the way how they're displaying reviews on their site and social proof in general. Crossnet do a great job. 
of displaying how reviews get displayed on their site. I had Chris Mead, the founder, well, the co-founder, he's what him and his brother, I had him on the podcast earlier. Chris is a great operator, he's a great marketeer. And I think he clearly understands the value of reviews and he knows how to leverage them. That's really cool to see. I love that brand. The guy created a sport, for goodness sake, <laughs> which is mad. This day and age, we think that everything's been done and he's gone and created a whole sport. There's a company called Gothrider, Gothrider Coffee. Yeah, I know Phil quite well. I love Phil. I love Phil's passion for e-commerce. So Phil has just implemented review nuggets on his site. What's happening is that once you've got 10 reviews or 100 reviews or 1,000 reviews on a product, it really doesn't matter. Customers sort of glaze over. So what we do to create this product called Review Nuggets, where you could highlight a bit of a review, highlight the review text, and we'd, that snippet of text would then go right next to the buy button. And Phil's done a really good job of implementing that solution, and it's lifted his AOV. Yeah, Phil does really well with the reviews. He always replies to his negatives. He's super fast. He clearly listens to his customers when he's developing his products. He's very switched on about the space. So he's doing a great job. Those are three good ones. I'll make sure to add them into the notes. Do you have any data on, like when I look at reviews, I go straight to the videos and the pictures. Can you connect conversion rate with products that have more pictures and more videos and reviews? Or do you know have any data around how that affects it? Right. So we've just launched an ROI tool. So I created a product called Full Picture, which was a session recording and an ROI tool. It was like a poor man's version of Triple Whale, I suppose. And what the aim was that I built this tool. Generally, when we build products, we'll build them off reviews.io onto a different domain. And then we'll learn a little bit. We'll get people using it. And then if it works, we'll bring the best bits into reviews.io. And that's kind of what we've done with Full Picture. And what we're now doing is session recording, showing our customers how the visitors are interacting with reviews on the page. So I can now tell you, right, this customer's clicked this image. And actually, by looking at that image, they went and made that purchase. And we can prove it by you watching this replay. Conversion, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, what images and videos give uplift. It has a massive positive impact. Interestingly, the Nugget solution that I spoke about a second ago with Phil, that lifted his AOV by 10.3%. Holy smokes, that's crazy. Just that one change. It's not at like 10.3% or we've not checked it. This is 10.3%. Here's the evidence. Watch these replays. Look at people reading that bit and then going and converting. We did it over two months. We A-B tested over two months and we did 105,000 sessions. That was the A-B test. And we proved that AOV increased by um, 10.3. I mean, like 2% would be amazing. Yeah. And we give that solution, that solution, if somebody comes on to reviews.io on our lowest package, they still get that feature. Everything we build, we have a build for one, give to all policy. And we're really trying to make the solution be very product-led. But as we develop, we really want these people to take advantage of all the improvements. And speaking as a partner who's worked with your team, genuinely impressed with how fast your team works, how innovative they are. And like before we run out of time here, I would like to highlight like the subscription space a little bit because I think 
one of the big things we do at Bold is subscriptions. And your team recently built reviews to work in a unique way with subscriptions. And I always tell brands like, you can't just install a subscription app and slap on subscriptions and think you're going to have a successful subscription company. Like the whole way you acquire customers, retain them, your email marketing, your messaging, the way you think about customer acquisition costs, everything has to change. Subscriptions are a completely different beast. And reviews are a big part of that. Like most people never even think about how do reviews play into my subscription strategy. And the folks at your team thought about this a lot and they now with reviews.io and both subscriptions, it makes sense. And I don't know, do you want to highlight it or do you want me to go over it? But I think it's so good. I think the integration the guys have done is fantastic. How it gives you the flexibility. It makes collecting reviews if you're offering a subscription super flexible. And what you don't want to do is send a review invite to somebody every single time. And that's what they've done. But yeah, I'll let you kind of explain how it works with subscriptions, but that's what I liked about it. That was the bit that I thought, when you think about it, it makes sense. That just makes huge sense. You can create flows of ask the first time, then if you don't get a review, ask again after maybe the fourth subscription delivery. So you can set up that logic. Brilliant. Every other review app is going to ask every single month, which is a horrible experience as a customer. So that's one. But the one that I actually really like is when you subscribe to a product, it's a different commitment with a brand. Like I've bought products one time, like let's take skin lotion as an example. Like I bought skin lotion one time and I Googled skin lotion for kids. I needed it for my daughter and I found some skin lotion, ordered it. A week or two later, it still didn't come. And I couldn't remember the company I ordered it from. And I started going in my email and searching skin lotion for like order confirmations. And But you don't subscribe to something and forget who you have a subscription with. It's a different level of commitment. You're saying, I'm committing to this brand and subscribing and becoming a member of this brand. So it's a higher level commitment. And so when I'm looking at a product, I would like to see reviews from subscribers, not just everybody who buys at one time. And what your team has done is I can now see reviews from verified subscribers, not just one-time customers, but people who are part of the subscription experience. Like, are they getting their order every month on time? What's it like to be a member? I love that. Makes so much sense. And then they added the ability to subscribe from within your UGC gallery where customers can submit pictures and reviews and other things. And then there's a subscribe option right there. And I just think anytime you have the buy option as close to the point of inspiration, the better. So like, if I'm reading those reviews and I'm inspired, I can click subscribe right there versus now I got to go back and find, there's going to be drop off. And I think that's something all D2C brands need to take heed of that advice, get that call to action or that subscription button as close to the point of happiness or like they've just seen that great image. They've just read the great review and it's subscribe is right there. Yeah. So I just, kudos to your team for building that. Thank you, honestly. So the team in the UK did that integration with Bold. And all of our developers really, they're passionate about what we do. And I suppose that's the difference between a sales-led business and a product-led business. We're a product-led business. So we're all about, we want to integrate with great companies like Bold. We want to work within your subscription app. And that's important to us. And I think you can definitely see that in how we work. 
because they're not just talking about being great. It's actually being great, producing good output. They genuinely cared about what value is this going to bring to the end merchant. Yeah. And I think that it's a great partnership. Can't wait to see what it brings for both brands. It's a better experience for the customers too. So I know we're out of time. I feel like I could talk to you a lot more. I got through maybe a third of my questions. Maybe we'll have to have you back on. Oh man, I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. I think I, you know what? There's a lot in this space and every question I asked you, it kind of made me think about something else with reviews. So I don't know, maybe we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah, that'd be cool. Always happy. What we'll do, let's get Phil and Chris on and we'll talk about everything all together. Actually, that's a fantastic (laughs) idea. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people go to learn more about you? What social platforms are you active on? And then if someone wants to try (laughs) reviews.io, I guess that reviews.io. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a bit more professional. Twitter, I'm a bit more outspoken. So it depends which version of Callum you like. My wife says she wouldn't have married me if she'd seen my Twitter or LinkedIn before we met. So take of that what you will. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, trying to grow both of them. I think that's important to try and grow, especially my Twitter. I started out last year and my New Year's resolution last year was to do more on Twitter and grow my following. And I think I'm at 6,000 now. So not doing too bad. I'm pretty pleased with that. And if someone wants to try reviews.io, how does that work? If you want to give the platform a try, literally go on to reviews.io, click sign up. There's a 14-day trial or literally connect with me on Twitter and LinkedIn and say, I'll help you get set up. I love talking to D2C brands and founders. So if you want any advice, even if you use a competitive solution, and you're struggling to get the most out of reviews, I will give you advice. Just come on, just ask me a question about reviews. You don't have to be a client of reviews.io. And in some cases, we might not be the right solution for you, but I can definitely help you with some advice. That's amazing. You're a stand-up guy, Calm. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been great and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 